Thank you, church. Uh, yeah, uh, I, you know, I know Mark talked about doing church outside. Yesterday, I proposed a one plan, and I said, how about if we ever renovate the church, we have a convertible top? You know, football stadiums have it. Why not a church, you know? Just open it up. You know, if it rains, we can close it back up, or if you want to get wet a little bit, you know, we'll just bring umbrellas. But I think, that, I think that's a better plan than doing it outside myself, but... Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, no, but uh, church, it's always an uh, honor and a privilege to stand here to, to preach. The fact that uh, Pastor Daryl and, and staff and elders trust me to preach, uh, I think that says, says a lot. And I, I appreciate the opportunity to do this. I don't take it lightly. But um, if you can do me a quick favor, if you can just um, turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And as you guys are turning into that or turning on your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, no worries, it's up on the screen for you uh, uh, when I start reading. But the, the message that I, um, or the title of my message that I, I have for you today is called, What is in Your Hand? And throughout this message, you'll, I hope you'll be asking yourself, what is in my hand? Because I believe there is, uh, you know, a question to be asked here through this passage. And so, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, here we go. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commands us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a bias to, for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he strained up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus strained up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one commend you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Uh, church, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I think it's safe to say it's summertime already, right? I think, I think it's safe to say. For me, my go-to once, uh, it, I have a, like a little checklist, and my checklist is if I have to turn on the fan for five days in a row in my bedroom while I'm sleeping, it's summertime. It's, it's, it's hot enough to call it summertime, I think. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. And so I like to declare that it's summertime. And, you know, with summertime, like Jen was saying, there's different plans and there's certain things like we, that we like to do. Uh, some of us have green thumbs and we like to plant and we like to take care of our lawn. You know, I, I envy the people that can, like, do, like, fancy lawn designs with their lawnmower because, you know, I can't do that. But... Uh, you know, I envy that, but, you know, some of us, a common thing is like going to the beach. You know, going to the beach and enjoying the, uh, the water and the, and the sand. And, you know, me personally, I, I'm not a big fan of the sand. 
Um, you know, my wife, she loves the beach. She, she likes to, you know, lay down. She likes to sunbathe, like, um, in our house, uh, our couch. Like, there's one section of it where the sun hits directly onto the couch. My wife just loves sitting on that section. Me, on the other hand, I sit on the, in the dark corner because, you know, I'm not about that. Um, but myself, I don't enjoy the sand, but what I do like is the other outside activities like hiking or exploring. Uh, you know, true story here is when my wife and I were kind of planning our honeymoon, we were, we were kind of deciding where we were going to go. And this is during COVID, but right before, uh, you know, cruises was an option. And luckily that <laughs> didn't happen because we all know what happened. But, uh, you know, we were thinking about a cruise or I was thinking about a cruise and I was thinking, you know, there was this one like European like, like destination drops and it was like, oh, we'll take you to Turkey, we'll take you to Rome. In my head, I'm like, well, these are ancient biblical cities that I would like to see that still had ancient ruins. Maybe we can go. And then my wife was like, no. Like, <laughs> like, I'm there to relax and not learn. And so I was like, all right, fine, you win that. But, you know, on one hand, you have my wife who likes the sand and you have myself who likes more of something solid like rocks to enjoy my time off. And thinking about that, you know, I, you know, on my off time, I, I like to learn. And as, as you can tell with this whole like uh, honeymoon planning that, that I created, but you know, I started looking into like how is sand created, you know, and you know, just for a, a brief moment here, if you can stick with me that Sand is created by rocks that fall off a cliff or mountains and break into smaller pieces. Uh, the pieces that fall into the water goes through the process of what we call erosion. As it makes its way downstream, the waves and the impacts of other rocks to this rock encounter, it, that it encounters breaks it down. And after enough time, it gets broken down to these little grains called sand. And look, church, I know I researched this and I found this. I promise you I'm good at parties. I, I, you know, I, I promise I'm a little bit more fun than, than this stuff. But I don't think I'm the only person who likes to think about rocks and sand uh, in my time off. If anything, I take pride that Jesus also likes to talk about rocks and sands. You know, we think about, you know, building your, your house on a firm foundation on rocks instead of sand. You know, things like that. Jesus always talked about rocks and sands. And, you know, and we see this in the gospel, multiple references to this as illustrations that Jesus used to prove a point. And in this passage, I believe there's another illustration to be used. In this passage, we see two sides that Jesus encounters. On one side is a group of men with stones in their hands, and the other is a woman but nothing but the sand under her feet. As readers today, there is a lesson for us in this passage. At this moment, some of us, I believe, lay on one of these sides. And to figure out what side that you're in, I'll ask you, what is in your hands? And so some of us, might feel like stones are in, a hand, in, in our hands. And, you know, during this time, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, the, their hearts were hardened like the rocks in their hands. They intended to hurt at any cost possible just for self-satisfaction. And uh, to kind of go deeper a little bit into this, I have to explain exactly what adultery is. I have to go into the background, the historical context. And church, if you, if you don't know my style of preaching, I, I like to dive deep. I think, you know, the 
Bible is so great and amazing. The fact that um, you can come to the Bible, open it up, read a passage, and say, I received something is great. But the fact that you can take the same passage and then start looking at the historical context, you can start looking at the, the hyperlinks between this passage and Old Testament passages, it just unlocks another thing deeper to learn in the Bible, and I think that's great. And so I like to just dive in a little bit deeper because I think there's more to the text here. And so we first have to look at what adultery was in the Old Testament. What was the background and what was the history in this? And so adultery between a married man and a woman, or sorry, a married woman and a man was considered a serious offense. But when a married man commits adultery with a woman, it's usually not considered adultery. There's already an offset there. When caught in adultery, both parties could be subject to death. If, it, if the woman was married, the woman alone were subject to death by strangulation. Tough. If the woman was engaged, she and the man who was not her husband must be stoned to death. Remember this because I'll come back to it later. However, though this was the law, it usually was not practiced in uh, in both the time of Jesus and in the no Old Testament, actually. And so uh, on, on the screen, I'll show you uh, different alternatives that people chose. When adultery was committed, people preferred compensation, and we see that in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 34 to 35. Others, if that wasn't enough, they chose divorce, and we see that in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And if anything, if pe people were truly compassionate and forgiving, they chose reconciliation, which is also in Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. And so, so when it came to the scribes and Pharisees, they knew this law. They knew that there, you know, stoning wasn't the main object, that that was the last resort. But they took the offense of this woman and took it to the max level. And their goal for them was to trick Jesus. Because if Jesus confirmed the death penalty, he could be condemned and be charged with... Sorry, if Jesus refused to confirm the death penalty, he could be condemned and be charged with contradicting the law. Still if he confirmed the verdict, he would lose his reputation for compassion and be reported to the Roman authorities for independent exercise of the death penalty. Jesus was stuck. Or at least the Pharisees thought. And, you know, this kind of emotional battle that the Pharisees and, and the scribes are kind of going through it reminds me of a, of a topic that St. Augustine of Hippo uh, talked about. He wrote a book called The City of God, and I promise you it's a quick read, only 600 pages, you would knock it out in a day. But in this book, he brings up his theory of the libido dominandi, or it's a Latin term that can be translated as the lust for domination. Augustine of Hippo believed that the lust of domination is driven by the need to serve oneself and control everything around them, including what is considered good or true, how others behave, and who receives recognition. This lust goes against the principle of serving others and loving them. The drive for domination is rooted in a self-centered perspective that seeks to control everything in the world. Man seeks to find his refuge by possessing everything possible. Only in this possession can man find his contentment instead of, instead of finding it in God. Because of this, 
Man loses his relationship with God because they only care about themselves. The scribes and Pharisees were dealing with this very lust for domination because the fact that they witnessed the woman's sin can make us question the intent of their hearts. To accuse someone back then, there needed to be a strong testimony from two witnesses. For the scribes and Pharisees to successfully, successfully accuse meant that they had to see everything happen. They had to be there. And to refer back to the punishment of adultery, since she was being stoned, we can assume and we can understand that she was an engaged woman. But that same law would also bring us to believe that there should be a man there to be stoned as well. But the fact that there was no man brought meant that the Pharisees and scribes let him go because they only wanted to use the woman. They knew what they needed. The fact that they knew the time and place of this private matter uh, gives us an inclination that they planned everything. They gave in to their selfish desires by tricking and trapping this woman alone just for the satisfaction of not, uh, not the public lynching of this woman but of Jesus too. Interestingly enough, they understood, as scribes and Pharisees, they understood God's mercy and grace, but they failed with the application. So how do we respond to this in our lives? It's not like we have modern stoning in our time today. I hope not, uh, at least here in America, right? Um, and if I can think of one word that we can use that applies to us and also to the scribes and Pharisees, I believe is the word compassion. Compassion. Apply compassion to every circumstance we find ourselves in. Sometimes uh, when it comes to the law in the Old Testament, it's very easy to miss out on compassion, right? Like stoning people does not sound very compassionate. You know, however, understand that in the Old Testament, the scribes and Pharisees avoided their moral duties that the law points at or puts them on. Uh, so, like, for example, if someone is about to witness a person's sin, the law and compassion requires them to speak up. When bringing the woman to Jesus, compassion would have kept the, woman onto, or kept the woman to the side and keep everything private. They neglected compassion. They neglected to provide guidance and preserve the woman in confidence. Church, let us not neglect compassion. Let us be people who can walk into the situation uninfected by external situations and selfish motives and concentrate on the person in front of us. Henry Nolan, who is a, a scholar that was a professor at a high universities like uh, Harvard and Yale, who left all that to just work with people with disabilities, uh, he knew a lot about compassion. And what he has to say about compassion is this, that compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the place of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, and to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Compassion does not ask us to judge and cast away, no matter the sin. Church, I think we can say this, that sin is sin, and we have all sinned. Yeah. To Jesus, to commit adultery is the same as telling a lie. Yeah. And the only type of person who can judge someone is someone who is just and without fault. 
And church, to be complaining eyes, I can stand here before you and say, that is not me. And so could the crowd. Hence, that's why the oldest people left first. And the reason why they left first is because the oldest people knew that I lived so long, that meant I sinned for so long. If anything, if all these sins, if I have, if I have the receipts, I have a lot more receipts than this 12-year-old in front of me has. So I have to walk away first. They knew they have sinned and they were not qualified for judgment. In the same way, we need to recognize our sinful nature and look for ways to help others rather than hurt them. Let us posture our hearts and show empathy for our neighbors. And so church, I ask you, what is in your hand? Is it a stone or is it compassion? On the other side, we see this image of sand with the woman. And like the sand, this woman was broken. She was tricked by the scribes and Pharisees, publicly shamed, and now she has to worry about her demise. Although she might have thought this was it for her, Jesus had a different plan. You know, if we can kind of be honest, uh, Jesus had every right to green light the stoning. It was part of the law. He could have said, yes, let's do it. He understood there was wrongdoing, and we see in the text that he did not ignore and condone her sin. He could have shown the woman a righteous wrath and chose intimidation, but he didn't. Rather, he chose to instate this woman into a position that allowed her to leave the life she was living and live a new life pleasing to God. He chose forgiveness. Jesus was trying to show the crowd and us something about forgiveness with his response. Jesus responded with forgiveness because he understood there is a transformation that comes with it. By forgiving her and offering her a second chance, she can now see that God wants something to do with her. God wants to redeem her. God is not here to trick or trap, but he is here to, show, uh, to, to forgive and show compassion. An American Baptist pastor and an activist from 1955 to 1968, and hopefully you know him, his name is Martin Luther King uh, Jr., understood forgiveness was transformative. Martin Luther King chose forgiveness and love when he could. After being arrested five times, after his house being bombed twice, receiving death threats every single day, and being the victim of a near-fatal near stabbing, he chose to love and forgive. And he says this, The non-violent approach, like forgiveness, does not immediately change the heart of the oppressor. It first does something to the hearts and souls of those committed to it. It gives them a new self-respect. It calls up resources of strength and courage they did not know they had. And finally, it reaches the opponent and stirs his conscience that reconciliation becomes a reality. Martin Luther King understood that forgiveness not only changes the person who gives forgiveness, but also changes the, the person who receives forgiveness. And this is something that Jesus understood too. Jesus forgives because he wants to be reconcile with the woman. His, he wants to build up that relationship back. In the same way, he forgives us because he wants us to come to him and be in relationship with him. Some of us are like this woman, feeling far from God, judged by God. But I think he wants you to know that he still loves you and that you are forgiven. There is no sin great enough to keep you from his love. All you have to do is ask and stand firm on that truth 
There is forgiveness waiting. And if there's one thing I know about the enemy, and I don't hang out with him a lot, but there's some things I know about him, and, you know, is that he likes to tell you what you're not. Sometimes the enemy will tell you that you're not good enough. Sometimes the enemy will tell you that you are not forgiven or you do not deserve forgiveness. Or sometimes he'll tell you that you're not pure enough. And church, in those moments, it's going to be overwhelming and it's going to be hard and you might even disagree at some of those points. But I think we have to remind ourselves and tell ourselves that true, but through Christ, I am. Through Christ, I am good enough. Through Christ, I am forgiven. Through Christ, I am pure, I am clean, and I am set free. Allow the forgiveness of God to transform your life, church. And so, church, with these final moments, um, if you also know about something about preaching, I do what I call the Irish goodbyes of preaching. Right, I, I, I close in prayer, see you later, Pastor Darrell, and I, is, I walk off. And, you know, and he's not here for me to do that Irish goodbye of, of preaching, and you know, I, neither do I want to do that. And for me lately, um, you know, God has been placing in my heart these this, this, uh, spiritual disciplines in, in my life. Like, I really want to highlight that. I really want to practice that. And I want to share that with people. And... You know, I was thinking, like, well, maybe I can do, like, a type of spiritual discipline practice with, with the church today. And so I was like, oh, which one would I do? And so I was like, well, maybe we can pray. But I'm like, well, we kind of already prayed, like, five times already, and I still have one more prayer after this. So, like, probably not. I'll avoid that. Uh, I was like, maybe we can fast together. But I'm like, well, some of us are already fasting and want me to finish up so they can break that fast, right? Uh, and, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe we can do confessions, right? Maybe we'll pass the mic around. But then I was like, that's another three hours right so I'm not gonna do that so I'm like sitting here I'm like what can we do what what practice would be uh good for this very moment and so um I know we kind of done it with Pastor Daryl a little bit but I you know I kind of do this differently I want to practice solitude a little bit solitude and so with our eyes closed if we can just close our eyes and kind of just receive this is this is going to be weird because I'm going to ask you to just stay silent. Just wait on God. And it's going to be a couple minutes, and it's going to, like I said, it's going to feel strange. And some of us are going to feel tempted to, to think about what's next in, the, you know, in their day or what they have to do when they get home or you know, you know, telling, you know, internally telling me personally that, hey, hurry this up because i got to go. But you know, I think there's something in this that we need to do. And if, if you do feel tempted, all I want you to say in your heart in your mind, is just say that, God, I am here. I am here. And allow this moment of solitude and silence, just, it, this whole point is just to wait to hear from God. And if you don't, it's okay. You know, I, and I also have some referring points um, at, at the end, which with our eyes closed, we'll, I'll go through with you guys. But uh, for this moment, just for a couple minutes, just, just with our eyes closed, just stand here in solitude and in silence.
also close. That was awkward, but it's okay. You made it. That was only two minutes. Um, and with the practice of solitude, you know, it's, it's something that you need to practice. It's a discipline, right? You're not going to like it. It's right. And I feel maybe some of us heard from God. Maybe God started talking to you. Maybe some of us just felt him. It was just like this sense of, of peace. That's fine. Or maybe some of us just realized, hey, we just have a lot to say to God. Maybe we were just, you know, in our minds just wanting to talk to God and, and speak to him or anything like that. And, you know, that, that's the great thing about this practice of solitude. But with our eyes still closed and still in this meditation state, church, we sit here with something in our hands. I think some of us, you know, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually, maybe some of us are quick to grab a stone or two for the sake of being right or for the appearance of justification, just to look better than everybody else or to be better than everyone else. If this is you, ask yourself, how can you show compassion What would it take for you to let go of the stone? Have you thrown stones at work? Have you thrown stones at the grocery store? Have you thrown stones in your own home, with your family, your friends? What would it take for you to let go, show compassion? On the other side, I feel like some of us feel like we have nothing in our hands, feeling like we are from far from God. But if this is you today, I want you to understand that Christ not only died for the redemption of everyone around you, not for the person behind you, side of you, or behind you, but he also died with you in mind. He died for you and he has forgiveness, and he has compassion that he wants to show you. All he's asking is for you to accept that, because once you do, that will change your life. That you will, once you, after this moment, after our prayer, that you is open up your eyes, and you'll feel the sense of confidence, knowing that you are forgiven, because through Christ, you are. So, God, You were with us in our time of solitude and you know what's in our hearts. You know what we're struggling with. You know what's in our hands, God. And at this very moment, Lord, I just pray that you may help us open up our hands and receive and to give compassion and receive forgiveness that you have for us. Maybe some of, us, some of our hearts are hardened, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that you may just soften it up, Lord. Make it soft so that you may enter and so we may just receive your goodness, that we, we, that we may just become just disciples of Jesus day by day. And this very moment, this is where it starts. 
And so, God, forgive us if we have thrown stones. Lord, forgive us if we have been walking in shame and without confidence, God. I just pray, Lord, that this day, Lord, will be just a turning point of that, God. That we may internalize what has been said, that as we walk through these doors, Lord, that we just open our hands and the only thing we have is compassion and forgiveness. Lord, we just give you thank you. If we, we give you thanks for this time and for this moment. And we pray this in Jesus' name.